please stand with me for the reading of God's word. This is Ephesians 6, 10 to 24. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of God. Friends, we're at war. We are at war. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, you recognize that or not, if you believe that or not, but um, to be unaware, uh, to be complacent, to be ignorant is not an option. We're at war. Let me, let me pray. Jesus, I pray that uh, as we go through this text of Scripture, a, a very important one, uh, Lord, that you will soften, that you will mold, that you will instruct our hearts, that you'll bring application into our hearts that will please and honor and glorify your name and not ours. That we will not look to our evil motivations, but they'll look to you to glorify your name because as we've already learned in this amazing letter to the Ephesus church, that we are slaves of yours, that we are children of yours and that we are your bride. And so help us submit out of reverence for your name. In this we pray, amen. <clears throat> well, as we close off this letter of the church to Ephesus, it's a, it's a powerful one. It's, it's one that we've walked through already. It's, it's the first three chapters, if, we, if you remember, it's the, the wealth of the gospel, the, the good news, the, the beauty of the, the gospel, of Christ's gospel to us. 
It, it is the wealth, and we've named it that. And then the next couple of chapters, four, five, and in the beginning of six, is the, the walk of the gospel. It's like believing that, that those chapters one, two, and three of all the blessings that we give from Christ, and now, now we are called to walk them out. And then here now in chapter six, as we've just heard read from Tim, is the warfare, is the warfare. And so I've broken this text up into a few sections with sub-points, sub and I want to I wanna go a little bit faster through this first point so that we can get to something that we're going to do a little bit differently this morning and actually apply some of the application. But the three points I wanna, I've broken this text into is the intro to the real war, verses 10 and 12, 10 through 12, and then the armor, and then the shared stories of victory. And so we want to hit those, and there's, like I said, a couple subpoints under one and two, and then uh, we'll get into it. And so look again, just take your Bibles out, look again at chapters verse six, or chapter six, verses 10 through 12. And it's on the screen for us as well if you don't have a Bible. But it says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes, the schemes of the devil. There's your war. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's interesting. Look at that first word, finally. Finally. So the danger with this passage is to separate this, this text from the, the entire storyline of God and the, in the letter of, uh, of Ephesus, to Ephesus, the church of Ephesus. And that's what's done oftentimes within the church. They go, this passage here is your spiritual warfare passage. But that, that word finally is actually a really interesting one. It's, the lear it's another learning point, right? It's not a light, it's not, and it's not a light one. Paul is introducing us to a war that we cannot see, but we experience daily. See, as we are introduced to the real war, there are a few instructions under this first point that each of us need to see, but not just see, keep one another accountable to. And that's why we have community groups, to be a part of one another's life throughout the week. And these three points, you can see them right in the text. You've already seen them. These sub-points are to be strong, to be in Jesus's, the center of Jesus' strength, and to know who you're fighting so be strong. Let's rewind a bit and look at the, a couple of chapters before here. In chapter 1, verse 19 through 23, in, in the same book here, it says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know that what is the hope to which he has called you. Like, what has he called you to? And, and remember, we're in the, we're right now, anyways, be strong. This is the, this is the base. Like we're at the base of the army. Like we haven't gone onto the war field yet, right? Onto the field of, our, uh, of war, but yet we're at the base. The general's got us all lined up, ready to go. We've, we're all saluted, ready to, ready to put on our armor. And he's going, be strong. Remember the hope that you have. Remember these things. And it continues, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And this is the general reminding us. And what is the measurable greatness of God the Father's power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and sealed him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he, God the Father, put 
all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the call here from the general Paul to us as the church is to be strong, to be strong in him, to recognize that God the Father provides the strength through Jesus, the Son, and seals us with the Holy Spirit. Another chapter in chapter 3, you see in 16 through 19, I'm not sure if it's on on the screen or not, but it says this, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened, that he is the one that grants you strength with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted as you go out to war, that you be rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth with we, which we already sung and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, our or other parts of scripture like Romans 4.20, speaking of Abraham's faith when he was 100 years old and his wife 75 and, a, and an angel comes to him and says, you're going, to have a, you're going to have a son. And he responds with complete faith. It says, there, it says in Romans 4.20 that there is no unbelief made, no, made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as what? As he gave God the glory. So General Paul is going, give God the glory. Remember who has given you strength. It is him that empowers you. See, many ways to battle the schemes of the devil, but one clear way is by giving glory to God. Like last week, submit out of our core identity as wife, our core identity as the bride of our amazing groom, Jesus. Our core identity is to be child to the father and our core identity to be slave as the heavenly master. So in our submission, we are called to be strong in him. Our second sub-point is being in the center of Jesus' strength. Being in the center of it. How do we overcome the evil one? Well, you give glory to God, you know him, but also store the word in your heart. Be at the center of his strength, which is the word of God. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, again, victory is being in the word and having the word of God abide in you. Many of the men and women here were walking through a Bible study of the book of Jude. And we're challenging all of us that are in that Bible study to memorize this book. This is waging war, friends. We're waging war by memorizing, by placing this on our hearts to wage war against the schemes of the devil. The third sub point in, in the intro here to the war, you're still again at the base, you're getting prepped to go to the war, is to know our enemy, to have a game plan, to know who you are actually fighting. So you look at verse 12 again, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Who we are not fighting is each other. We are not fighting each other. See, this is a big one. Why do you think Paul is saying this first? Because we fight. We fight each other. That's why. See, this is hard, right? Different thoughts on different issues. Thank goodness there has been some resolve over the course of history, but the enemy sneaks in all areas within the church and he causes division. Amen, brother. Right? Daniel, thank you for that. I appreciate that. 
He causes division within us. See, Paul is calling us to unite both Jew and Gentile. This is the whole theme of the book of Ephesians, is to unite us back into the eternal family of God. It's about him, not us. Both Jew and Gentile, husband and wife, child and father, and slave and master, to unite us as brothers and sisters when we have conflict, to fight eagerly for peace for the sake of God's name. Not to hold, uh, not to lord religiously over one another, but to forgive and think less of ourselves. To care for those around us, not having laws at one, not lobbying laws at one another or heaving laws at one another or your personal rights at one another. Right? This is not what the Christian faith is about. Again, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Paul is speaking about our spiritual opponents. The wrestle is with rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, and spiritual forces of evil. This is who we are at war with. And Ephesians 2 says, and this has not always been the case, right? We have actually been at war alongside Satan. Ephesians 2 says this in, in verses 1 and 2, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Following the course of the world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You once were these people. Right? In other words, we once fought against Christ. In, in 1 John 3, 4 and 8, it says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And then in verse 8, it says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So if this is a practice of ours, we're actually fighting for the wrong team. See, Jesus actually goes as far as to to call uh, Satan their father in John chapter 8 to a bunch of Pharisees. It's like, your father's not Abraham. It's the devil. And then to his own disciple, Peter, says, get behind me, Satan. See, we have come through Ephesians and must never forget the wealth of the gospel in chapters 1 through 3. It is by grace we have been saved. It's by grace. We now walk eagerly to express our love for Jesus. The walk has no power when it comes to salvation. But it points directly to your heart's disposition of what you believe. How you walk, in other words, how you walk is proclaiming what you believe. So if your walk is contrary to the grace you proclaim in Jesus, friend, you may not be saved. Hear me, I'm not saying you can lose your salvation. I am saying you may never have been saved in the first place. The wrestle is not a light matter. You are wrestling with the ultimate deceiver and manipulator. He deceives scripture. Did God really say? 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. See, Satan knows this scripture. He knows this word. So he's not just going to attack your outer shell. He's going to attack the inner man. Like what what is your heart's motivation and why you do what you do? See, going back to our text, our war is not against one another, but against Satan and his deception, his schemes. This is why the importance of gathering is so vitally important. And it says back in Ephesians 3.10, 
such a powerful section. Again, same letter flowing throughout the whole text of Scripture so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The wisdom of God through the church. Why do we gather? That we might be the wisdom of God to the nation, to the rulers and authorities of the heavenly places. See, the church, given the wisdom of God, the strength of God through the Spirit, spiritual gifts to proclaim and build one another up. The church is our fortress to battle the enemy. This is our battleground. This is why I say this is our base. And the general of the word of God is speaking to us and now we need to go out. And every time we exit that door, we are going out into a war zone. So be strong. Be in the center of Jesus' strength. Remember who we are fighting. So now let's look at the armor. Now we're entering. Now we've gotten in the Jeep and we're, we're going to the war. And now our, our general is going, he's got the gear and he's going, put on your armor. And here's the armor, right? Verses 13 through 20, it says, and look at it on your, in your scripture again. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. Man, it sure says stand a lot. This is an action having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes fit for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. That's for every one of us. See, have you ever put something on your body that made you feel safer? Like, think about it. Like, what do you do? Some of you are bikers, right? You'll put on a helmet. You might not see me wear a helmet. I'm not a big helmet fan. But man, I'm a big fan of biking shorts, you know those padded ones where you put on the biking shorts and they, like those are, whoever made padded biking shorts, genius, right? Love the padded biking shorts, right? This is action steps as you're putting something on. Maybe you put on a seatbelt to get to church here. You felt safer, right? So when we are about to enter into war, there is no sitting involved. There is action. You're putting action on. You're putting the armor on to be safe, to be moving forward. So when you put on your biking, padded biking shorts, you get up and do it. It's an action step. And you do it knowingly, it's going to help you on that bike ride. So when you put on the, and, and, and as Paul has warned us already, we put on guard. We must be on guard. We must be sober and ready to protect and fight. Look what Peter said in 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Like, think about that. This is the word of God, which we all hold in high regard as our ultimate authority. And it is saying there is an enemy out that door that is prowling around wanting to kill you. Like, do you not think if that was the case, you would be much more readily into the word of God, putting on the armor every, every single day you woke up and walked out your front door? 
An author named Kent Hughes put it this way, we must be convinced of these things. If we are to succeed, you must go beyond evangelical lip service to a deep-souled conviction that bursts our simplistic religious shackles. Paul is specific about the nature of our evil opponents, and we must be as well. We gotta start believing this stuff. In the next few minutes, let's look, take a look at the, the seven weapons we have to battle against our enemy that we see in our text. And many of you know this. Many of you may have implanted this uh, passage on your, on your heart, memorized it. But let's take a look at it anyway. Starting in verse 14, it is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. The belt has been devised to cinch up and hold everything. I'm wearing a leather belt right now that I've had for probably, I don't know, 15 years. This thing knows my body. It has been worn out, it has been stretched, it has been manipulated to actually cinch up and hold my pants up every single time I put it on. And it's got the, right where I put that pin is really indented in that one spot. Like that, that pin knows where it's going to go every single time because it's right there. See, even with a lot of movement, the belt in the right position around the waist will not be affected. This takes time, it needs to be worn and adjusted to fit the person's body perfectly. Like the belt of truth, truth in the life of a person is vitally important. Vitally important. Like we have already covered this in chapter 4, verse 25, where it says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Vitally important. See, this might be taking it too far, but I don't think so. If truth is the fruit of communication between members of the body, given the, giving life to friendship, giving life to the interpersonal relationship because you're speaking truth to one another. Then lying, the opposite of this, to, to stretching the truth, which is just another word for lying, to lie to one another is the rot. It, it rottens the fruit. It causes division. It causes interpersonal relationship and breakdown. It causes, essentially, it causes death. Like knowing I was going through this text, I watched a war movie this, this week, and man, I actually really kind of love war movies. I don't know why, maybe because of this text like this, and there's a lot of war within the scripture, and there's battle, and there's, there's a conflict going on. There's something in me that I like it, but I watched war. I wanted to get a sense of battle when it comes to armor. See, truth is vital when in the midst of war. If truth isn't communicated on the battlefield between soldiers, lives are seriously at risk. Like this war movie that I watched, there was this, there's this uh, group that was hunkered down behind this hill and there's bullets whizzing by their ears and one was on the comms and, and he was talking to the general very far away. And the general was like, get up and get moving. You got to take the hill. And he looks at the general, or he talks to the general and he's like, we can't move. Every one of us would die. Speaking truth, I have to share this with you. There's a movement here. Truth as a Christian and the motivation behind what is spoken is actually eternally significant. Eternally significant. Like Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says you will be saved. If you confess anything other than Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that is eternally significant. 
So salvation is solidified by one's confession with their mouth, but so is eternal damnation. By what you hold to be true, you will either live eternally or suffer eternally. Two options. Are you ready for the belt of truth? Have you cinched it up? Does it know what it's holding on to? Secondly, breastplate, the righteousness. The breastplate is the piece of armor that covers all your vital organs. Most importantly, your heart. So remember, this armor is not ours. It's, it is God's armor. Again, in 6.10, it says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Like David, when he fought Goliath, I'm not sure if you remember the story. If you're familiar with it, I'll give you a quick synopsis, right? David, shepherd boy, King Saul was actually known to be a head taller than everybody else. And he goes, I want you to go put on my armor when you go fight Goliath. Well, the armor clearly did not fit. It would be like any one of you putting on my clothes. It would look really funny, right? They'd be way too big, but they seem to fit me, but they don't fit you. I was a youth pastor and we went on a mission trip and we did laundry and these two girls got into my pants. Like one in one leg and one in the other leg. We took pictures. It was hilarious, but they fit me perfectly. Right? It won't work. Like if you think of armor, physical armor, it's not going to fit you. But God's armor is different and it fits perfectly for these occasions. See, we are born what God has so graciously gifted to us. In Philippians 3, 7 through 9, it says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. There's that word. Not having a righteousness of my own. Why? Because of the law, right? Righteousness of your own is you just doing, fulfilling the law. But which that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is your breastplate. Or 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, this is Jesus, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. See, the breastplate that is held by truth is the righteous, righteousness that Jesus credits us during the great exchange of the cross. My sin for his righteousness. He takes and credits all of my sin onto him and he imputes all of his righteousness onto me. There is no exchange that you will find a better deal. See, this is then not by self-reliance, but by dependence on Jesus. The third armor is shoes, gospel of peace. Many of you maybe have, uh, don't recognize exactly what Paul is talking about here, but he, he's familiar with watching Roman guards walking around and all that kind of stuff. And, and some of you are familiar with actually playing on wet grass. Maybe as a kid, maybe you still do. Uh, running around on wet grass, uh, if you're wearing shoes like I've got on right now, it's slippery. You, you can't stop all of a sudden. You'll actually slide for about two feet, stop, and then you can change direction. Like if you're going to play soccer on a field like that, you actually need cleats. You need the proper footwear, right? You need to put cleats on so that you can, you can cut back and forth and you can deke and you can move back and forth and you can stop on a dime and move a different direction. 
Well, Paul here is referring to the sandals, the feet, the shoes where these these warriors were wearing, and they were open-toed sandals with long leather straps that they would tie around and cinch up very tightly so they would not move off, and they had metal spikes off the bottom just like soccer cleats. So when they were in war, they would plant themselves, and when pushed against, they were not moving. They would not move backwards. This is our gospel. Our message as Christians has not changed for 2,000 years. It is and offers the only peace to mankind. See, all other religious beliefs bring a set of duties to perform to hopefully, hopefully gain salvation. We're Christian. Well, salvation for Christians is accomplished for them. It is guaranteed by the blood of Christ and the sealed guaranteed of the Holy Spirit by way of confession. This is the peace we are offered and assured of when we put on these shoes. No matter what the enemy throws at us, we will not be moved. We are standing on the rock. It says the same thing in different ways, right? Like build your house upon the rock so when the waves come crashing up, your house will remain standing. It's the same kind of thing, just said in a different way. So as Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, hell will not be able to prevail against the church. Philippians 4, 7 says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the peace of the gospel. We have peace with God, no worries, anxieties, no condemnation. We are saved in him because of the work of Jesus. So shield of faith. Shield of faithfulness is number four. In the text, we see the enemy lobbing endless flaming arrows without a form of protection. We are in trouble. Like, imagine flaming arrows coming your way. Right? The shield Paul is speaking about is a shield large enough that a grown man, even my size, could hide behind. Again, this is an action step and takes diligence to remain behind the shield without peeking, like, get this, without peeking, looking around. Don't we want to peek? Don't we want to peek past the faith just a little bit? Have that extra long look? Have that just another drink? Whatever that temptation is, I just maybe get a little bit more. See, what are the flaming arrows in your life that are tempting you to take that peek? See, the subtle actions of our heart lowers the shield ever so slightly. This is what the enemy wants, so they get that one shot. And the lowering, the lowering is the belief that something in this world can satisfy you a little bit more than Christ. If I just had this, then I would have comfort. So we, we need to remember the shield is for our benefit. It's God's armor for us. God knows the attacks. Again, this is his armor and is, perfected, is perfect for these occasions. It is our faithfulness in the Lord's shield that will overcome the enemy in the world. 1 John 5, 4 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Your faith. Our faith in his power and his strength. The last of the uh, defensive armor is, sal- is, uh, is the helmet of salvation. Like, think of it. You're, it's the last piece of armor that you're putting on before you actually go out and start moving forward. 
It's a beautiful picture, and it's our salvation. The helmet is to cover all things important, your sight, your hearing, your speech, your thoughts. In war, the helmet is a vital piece of the, of the armor. A blow to the head might kill you instantly, but also a blow to the head, as we know a little bit more about concussions these days, can actually render you useless on the battlefield. You might be walking around after getting hit in the head aimlessly. Right? You can see the helmet provides an assurance, the assurance of protection and hope within the war. See, spiritually, the helmet of salvation is the assurance of your salvation in and through Christ. Again, going back to Ephesians chapter 1, 13 to 14, this is all Paul setting this up so that when this text comes up, 13 to 14 says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That helmet comes on. Who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Or Acts 4.12, what an amazing passage this is, text. And there is salvation in no one else. No other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. These are the truths of scripture that pro- provide peace, righteousness, faithfulness, and eternal salvation. One author put it, the helmet ins- ins- instills an irrepressible hope in Christ. An irrepressible hope. It's like when you put on that helmet, it's like I am now fully protected and now I'm ready to go forward. I've got my shield, I've got my feet set. The helmet goes on and I'm going. And now we pick up the sword. The sword is the word of God. Is the perfect weapon for both offense and defense within war to study and wield the sword then as a practice. This is something we should want to be efficient and skilled at. The beauty is every one of us has this ability. Every one of you have the ability to understand the word of God. Uh, my grandfather was a pastor and, and uh, my dad told me about this uh, when I started in ministry and he goes, you know what, your grandfather, he read the Bible through every single year in all the days he was a pastor. And that was such an encouragement to me. And so I started doing that actually even before, but I made it uh, a goal of mine to read through the Bible every single year. And now it's probably up over 20 times that I've read through the scripture. It's, it's, it's a helpful defense for me. It's a helpful, helpful tool for offense for me. And I'm not saying this thing prideful, but I want you to be encouraged as I was encouraged for someone else doing this. And so would you take up your sword and make this a practice? I like what Kent Hughes says about this. He said, there are truths God has for us that we have not inconvenienced ourselves enough to discover. Love that quote. There are truths God has for us that we have not inconvenienced ourselves enough to discover. See, the Bible is rich with treasure. Do you believe it? Do you believe that this is God's word? Like, wouldn't you, knowing that there's a lion ready to devour you out that door, wouldn't you pick up the sword? The last one is prayer. I think Paul didn't attach this to any weaponry on the armor on the body because it is the weapon. Prayer is the weapon. 
Every piece of the armor so far says action and the weapon of prayer might actually raise the bar as we are called to pray without ceasing. Continuous action. Read verse 18 again with me. It says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, called this weapon of war all prayer. Let me intro five areas of all prayer that you can further study in your community groups. Then I want to do something a little bit different. The first one is all-time prayer, self-explanatory, praying without stopping. This does not mean endless words, but a mind and a heart so focused on Christ that every thought is held captive and for his glory. It is devoting yourself to prayer to communicate with the Lord. Secondly, is spirit-directed prayer. And Jude 20, 21, it says, but you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. John Bunyan again says this, spirit-directed prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate, pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit for such things as God has promised or according to the word of God for the good of the church with submission and faith to the will of God. This is spirit-directed prayer. Or a variety of prayers. Timothy says this in chapter 2 of, uh, of his book. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. So a multiple array of opportunity to pray for someone. And then fourth is persistent prayer. Matthew 7, 7 shows us to persistently seek where it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. It's a persistence. And then the fifth is intercessory prayer, and that's making supplications for all the saints, which means all of you are saints. Are we praying for one another? Are we faithful in praying for one another? See, we're called to pray, but even more so for one another. The only way we can specifically pray for one another is by getting to know each other, by talking to one another. Spend some time today And I want to challenge us, and this is what I want to do a little bit different. I want to spend some time right now. I'm going to put a timer on my clock for two minutes. And and I want you to find someone that you don't know. And I want you to get their name. And if you have enough time, get their cell number. And if you're okay, if you don't want to give your cell number, that's fine. But just get the name. And then you can go back to your seat. And I want you to allow whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to pray for that person, I want you to pray it. So it requires you to ask, Lord, what do you want me to pray for this individual? And just listen. Just be quiet. And just be, begin to pray for them. Pray the things of the word of God for them. Thanking Jesus for them. That they have been given life and grace and that I had an opportunity to meet them today. And maybe during the week, if you get their cell number, maybe you can check in and see how they're doing and actually ask for a request that you can pray for. So Tom's going to put on some music for us. And I'm going to set two minutes. And I want us to humbly look around and get to know someone. you got two minutes. Take your time. Grab a seat. Uh, I want to do a little bit more of that. This is, if this is a family of God, then we should actually get to know one another and hang out. 
And uh, that's why we're doing community events. And there's another one coming at the end of March. So keep your ears peeled for that. But I want to close this text in this, in this book. The, the last one is exactly what we just did. It's the shared stories of victory. That's the third point of my message. So the intro to the war, the armor, which we could spend a lot more time on, which please do so in your community groups. And then the last one is the shared stories of victory. Let me just read that last part, just a portion of it. Well, let me do the whole thing. It says, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. This is Paul talking. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, listen to this, will tell you everything. He's going to come and tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Shared stories of victory. And then he goes, peace to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And then like how he started the book of Ephesians in chapter one, he ends it, grace be with all of who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. See, Tychicus uh, shared stories of victory for the glory of God and to encourage the church. Do you have stories of victory that you could share with one another of how God has changed your life, of how he's moved you, of how he's worked in your heart? If you've confessed him as your Lord and Savior, that is the, that's where you start. And you share your amazing story of how you were saved. Have you shared these stories with others so that our hearts might be encouraged? See, sharing our lives with one another is one of our core values in this church. It's community, evangelism, discipleship, and community. And so sharing our stories is very, very important. Paul and Tychicus have walked through many difficult battles. If you do some study, you'll see that he was there in many parts of Paul's life, really hard times as well. Do you have someone here? to walk with? Do you have someone to walk with accountability to know the deep roots of your heart of how they hook that sin and just want to actually lower that shield so you can pray for them that they'll lift that thing up again? Do you have someone to share life with? Do you have someone that you know their sufferings and they know yours? We need one another as the church as the family of God, as we submit to our Heavenly Father and wage war against our enemy. We're in a war. Every single time we walk out that door, we're in a war. We need to be aware of it and encourage one another with these shared victory stories that we might bring God the glory. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for this, this amazing letter that you, you have given us uh, from Paul that we can learn from and that we glean from and, and Lord, that we can be encouraged by, that we might remember the good news of the gospel and then walk it out and remember that there is a war going on as we go. So I just pray for um, uh, my friends, my family, this church, uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ that, that we will celebrate who you are this week and uh, share with one another lives of, uh, of stories and victory that, y- that you have accomplished, that you will be made glorified uh, by our mouth and by our hearts and by our actions. And so I just pray that as we close this book off, that you, that you will be glorified, Jesus. 
In this, in this I pray, amen.